Hello, and welcome to the Master Key Podcast, where we help you unlock your original design so that you can live in the fullness of your destiny. Today, Dennis shares with us his experience, coming from once being powerless into true strength and peace that is found in Christ. For more information and other resources, please visit us at masterkey.guide. Well, it's good to have you all with us again today. I'm excited about a message God has laid on my heart that I believe impacts every one of us. I want to tell a story about my own journey. I grew up in an evangelical church that didn't really understand very much about the authority of the believer or the role of Holy Spirit or uh, quite a few things actually about the Bible. They were good on being born again. They were good on some of the basics of the Christian faith, but I wouldn't say they were strong in the things of the spirit strong in battle or strong in matters of faith. So uh, numbers of things happened in our family while I was growing up and the church didn't seem to know really what to do with those things. Uh, When I was 15, my older sister was diagnosed with a brain tumor. She was 19 at the time. And um, the doctors really did the best they could. They did surgery, they did chemotherapy and so on. But in the end, we're not able to uh, resolve the problem and my sister died. That took about two years. And during that whole time, our church really didn't have any answers. Uh, They said, you know, God put the sickness on her to teach us something. And, you know, there were a few religious, um, you know, cliches that they gave us, but no real power, no real authority. And so I was disillusioned as a 17-year-old teenager, trying to live a Christian life, but not really seeing what I felt the Bible told us could really be ours. So when my sister died, I made a personal commitment to study the Bible myself and to find out what it really says about healing and miracles, and is the devil real? Is it God that put sickness on people? And these kind of questions. So I went on this journey for five years, studying the Word of God every day to find answers to these questions. And then God called me to plant a church in Hamilton, Ontario. That was way back in 1978, which I did. And so I had a desire to see a very powerful church. I didn't want to be part of a weak, ineffective, um, you know, irrelevant church that really didn't have a message or an experience that would confront our society and make a difference in people's lives. So anyway, um, I was quite... uh, you know, bold in my leadership style, and I had quite a high standard for faith and uh, all of the kind of stronger, more militant aspects of the Christian life. So it was many years later, I was going through some old sermon notes. (laughs) That can be scary. And I found this sermon outline uh, that I'd given way early on when I first planted the church. And the topic of the sermon was, I am believing for a church that is, 
and then I filled in the blanks. So I'm reading this sermon outline and I'm really intrigued because I saw all these points. I am believing for a church that is powerful, but you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And it says, to as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. And, you know, it's not by might, it's not by power, it's by my spirit that these things will be done. I wanted to be part of a powerful church. I wanted to see miracles and signs and wonders and healings and that sort of thing. And so that was my first point. The second point was I am believing for a church that is militant. In my view, the church should be God's army that we shouldn't be afraid of anything, that we should uh, submit ourselves to God, resist the devil, and he should flee from us, not us fleeing from him, not us being victims, not us being powerless, not us hiding in our little religious buildings, singing a few Christian songs, waiting for Jesus to come and rescue us from the big bad antichrist. I was not looking for a church like that. I didn't want to be part of a church like that. I wanted to be a church like the book of Acts, which was militant and which really did drive back the gates of hell and bring the kingdom of God. The third point, I wanted to be part of a church that was victorious. He always causes us to triumph in Christ. And nay, in all of these things, you are more than conquerors. And greater is he who's in you than he that's in the world. And on and on my scriptures went. I wanted to be part of a victorious church, not a defeated church. I wanted to be part of a church that was full of blessing and prosperity, not poverty and broke and uh, incapable of doing things. The next point, I wanted to be part of a church that was full of faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you'll speak to this mountain and it will be removed and it will be cast into the sea. I wanted to be strong in faith myself. I wanted uh, faith to be the victory that overcomes the world because I knew without faith, it was impossible to please God. So I was believing for a church that was full of faith. I was uh, wanting to be part of a church that was steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, not just blown in the wind and, oh, well, whatever happens, oh, well, I guess we lost that one. You know, I didn't want to be a part of a wimpy, wishy-washy church, but that one that was steadfast who knew who they were, knew where they were going, and who knew who their God was. And finally, I wanted to be part of a church that was bold. It says the righteous are as bold as a lion, and there's a holy boldness that comes upon the people of God that does move mountains and change history and does fulfill and pursue the Great Commission. I wanted to see all those things. I'm chuckling as I'm reading this sermon outline, thinking back on the way I was back in those early days. And you know what? 
I don't think those things were wrong. I think those were valid and noble goals to have as a young minister of the gospel. But as I leafed through the sermon outlines, I found some that were more recent. And uh, you may know that we went through a tremendous um, time of testing and brokenness with our church. After six years, our church actually was destroyed and came to nothing. And, you know, I personally experienced a tremendous uh, personal crisis in, you know, serving God in the church because uh, the church was attacked and, and was ultimately destroyed. And that um, experience caused me to walk on a path I hadn't walked on before. And I had to uh, humble myself about a number of things. I had to learn what it meant to fall on the rock and be broken. I had to learn what it meant to repent and to deal with things in my own life that weren't necessarily pleasing to God. I had to find out what it meant to have patience for people who were hurting and broken who couldn't maybe show up for battle every five minutes and be bold and courageous, but who were working through personal issues and needed some time and needed some compassion. I went on this amazing journey and then I found this second sermon outline that I had written. And it says, I am believing for a church that is and then I filled in other words this time. The first word I had was meek. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Before, I didn't even know what meekness was. I had no idea. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness, you know, it says that Jesus was meek and lowly of heart. Didn't mean he was weak didn't mean he was a wimp. The word meekness is really uh, best um, manifested by this example of these uh, Roman war horses. They had these powerful war horses in Rome, and they were so well trained that the owner of the horse could have that horse stand there, build a bonfire under the horse's belly, and that horse would not move until the trainer gave the word. And that was the definition of meekness. It means strength under control. These powerful war horses were very mighty, powerful creatures. But they would stand there obediently while the fire burned under their belly because their strength was under control. That's the true meaning of the word meek. And I wanted to be part of a church that knew that meekness and could inherit the earth. Secondly, I wanted to be part of a church that was humble. You know, it says God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And, you know, humility goes along with meekness. And I believe it uh, will receive from God. God will lift up the humble and he will honor them. 
And so I began to appreciate the quality of humility that was really lacking in me in those early years where all I wanted to talk about was going to battle. The third thing was I am looking for a church that is broken, that has fallen on the rock and is broken. You know, it says in um, the Old Testament, to this man will I look, to him who's of a broken and a contrite spirit, to him who trembles at my word. I had an arrogance in my early years that was all part of that militant, victorious, kind of aggressive posture. There was very little brokenness. And so I was quite intolerant of certain people. I was impatient with immature believers. I was uh, critical of certain other groups or churches for not doing things the way I thought they should be done. And I had not yet fallen on the rock and appreciated the value of brokenness. I was believing now for a church that was compassionate, that was gentle and forgiving. In the early years, I wasn't really good at forgiving. It was like either get with it or get out of the way. You know, I wasn't really looking to show a lot of grace or mercy to people. I had to learn how to be forgiving. I had to learn how if my brother sinned against me seven times in one day that I needed to forgive him, not just seven times, but 70 times seven. And finally, I had to learn what it meant to be selfless. In all of my militant warfare of the early years, there was a lot of self in that. A lot of selfish motive actually behind a lot of the things that I was doing. And I found the value of taking up my cross and denying myself and following Jesus. And that it's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. So I scanned the list and there it was and how different from so many years before. So God had me take the two sermon outlines side by side. He had me read the first one again from the early years. A powerful church, a militant church, a victorious church, a church full of faith, steadfast and bold. The father asked me, Dennis, what do you see in this kind of church? I said, I see a lion. He said, you're right. And then he had me look at the second sermon outline that I gave years later after the brokenness and the trial that I went through. And I saw the words meek, humble, broken, compassionate, grace-filled, forgiving, and selfless. And he said, Dennis, what do you see? And I said, I see a lamb. Today, I can honestly say, I am believing for a church that is the sum total of both of those lists, because I believe the church should be a reflection of our Lord, Jesus. 
And of course, we know that he was the lion of the tribe of Judah, and he is also the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Jesus has these two amazing natures simultaneously coming together in him. And when needed, he roars like a lion and drives his enemies away. And when needed, he is as gentle as a lamb and lays down his life for those who cannot save themselves. You know, it says in Romans 8, verse 29, that God has foreordained that we would be conformed to the image of his dear son. Now, if we're too much on one side and not enough on the other, we might be showing part of the nature of Christ, but not the fullness of Christ. I know people who live their whole lives on the lamb side, and they might be intercessors, and they might be continually weeping and repenting and, and uh, you know, uh, having the compassion of God and mercy and forgiveness and all those things. But when the devil comes around, they don't know how to fight. They don't know how to roar. They don't know how to exercise their authority. They don't know how to use the sword of the spirit to drive the enemy away and free the captives. You know, you can be too much on one side and not enough on the other or vice versa. I don't want to embrace the lion and reject the lamb. And I don't want to embrace the lamb and forget about the lion. We need both sides of the nature of Christ. Jesus said, I am the alpha and the omega. I am the beginning and the end. I am the lion and the lamb. It's not either or. If you spend 97% of your time roaring at the devil and you never drink a cup and weep and stand in the gap as a lamb on behalf of others, you're only experiencing part of the image of Christ. So in conclusion, I am believing for a church now that embodies the fullness of Christ, that actually can look at Revelation chapter 5, where John is seeing a vision in heaven, and there was this scroll that was found that was sealed with seven seals, but no one was found worthy to open the scroll or even to look on it. And John began to weep because there was no one found worthy. And suddenly a mighty angel says, do not weep, John, for there has been one who's found, who has overcome, and he is worthy to loose the seals and open the scroll. And I looked and I beheld the lion of the tribe of Judah. He has prevailed and he is worthy to open the book. But as John continued in the vision, he looked at the one sitting on the throne and behold, it was a lamb. And it was the lamb that had overcome and by his blood had purchased men and women from every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. 
He thought he was looking at a lion and he saw a lamb. He thought it was a lamb, but it was a lion that roared and loosed the seals. We have a Lord who is both of these things completely without contradiction simultaneously. And this same Jesus lives in you. And so I'm encouraging you today, when necessary, let that greater one rise up in you and let your family and friends, let your church, let your community, let Canada see that the lion of the tribe of Judah lives in you. But when necessary, like Jesus didn't open his mouth, but gave himself as an offering, as a sacrifice, and became the Lamb of God. He became the great high priest. And now we are a royal priesthood. And we follow the Lamb whithersoever he goes. Here's my challenge. Get to know both sides of the nature of Christ. And let God conform you to his image so that any one of these words on either list of the sermon outline could fit and apply to you. That is my prayer and that is my blessing for you today. Amen. Thank you for joining us on today's podcast. If you'd like to connect or find other resources, please visit us at masterkey.guide.com.